Section 33 of History of Henry IV, King of France and Navarre by John Stevens Cabot Abbott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 12 The Reign of Henry IV and His Death, Part 2. One of the kings of England is said to have remarked to his son, who was eager to ascend the throne, thou little knowest my child what a heap of cares and sorrows thou graspest at history does indeed prove that uneasy lies the head that wears a crown new perplexities now burst upon the king the protestants many of them irritated by his conversion and by the tardy and insufficient concessions they received violently demanded entire equality with the catholics this demand led to the famous edict of nantes this ordinance which receives its name from the place where it was published was issued in the month of april fifteen ninety eight it granted to the protestants full private liberty of conscience it also permitted them to enjoy public worship in all places where the right was already established protestant lords of the highest rank could celebrate divine service in their castles with any number of their retainers nobles of the second rank might maintain private worship in their mansions to which thirty persons could be admitted protestants were pronounced to be eligible to public office their children were to be admitted to the schools their sick to the hospitals and their poor to a share of the public charities in a few specified places they were permitted to print books such in the main was the celebrated edict of nantes the catholics considered this an enormous and atrocious concession to deadly heresy new clamours blazed forth against henry as in heart false to the church the catholic clergy in one combined voice protested against it and pope clement the eighth declared the edict of nantes which permitted liberty of conscience to every one the most execrable that was ever made it has required centuries of blood and woe to teach even a few individuals the true principles of religious liberty even in protestant lands the masses of the people have not yet fully learnt that lesson all over catholic europe and all through the realms of paganism intolerance still sways her cruel and bloody sceptre these miserable religious wars in france the birth of ignorance fanaticism and depravity for seventy years polluted the state with gory scaffolds and blazing stakes three thousand millions of dollars were expended in the senseless strife and two millions of lives were thrown away at the close of the war one half of the towns and the majestic castles of beautiful france were but heaps of smouldering ruins all industry was paralyzed the fields were abandoned to weeds and barrenness the heart and mind of the whole nation was thoroughly demoralized poverty emaciation and a semi-barbarism deformed the whole kingdom neither the catholics nor protestants were satisfied with the edict of nantes the parliament of paris composed almost entirely of catholics for a long time refused its ratification henry called the courts before him and insisted with kindness but with firmness that the edict should be verified gentlemen said he in a long speech which he made upon the occasion there must be no more distinction between catholics and protestants all must be good frenchmen 
let the catholics convert the protestants by the example of a good life i am a shepherd king who will not shed the blood of his sheep but who will seek to bring them all with kindness into the same fold the catholic parliament thus constrained finally adopted the edict the protestants also perceiving clearly that this was the best that the king could do for them after long discussion in their consistory which was in reality their parliament finally gave in their adhesion the adjoining hostile powers having no longer a party in france to join them were thus disarmed they sent ambassadors to promote peace friendly treaties were speedily formed and henry was the undisputed monarch of a kingdom in repose henry now commenced with great energy the promotion of the prosperity of his exhausted kingdom to check the warlike spirit which had so long been dominant he forbade any of his subjects except his guards to carry arms the army was immediately greatly reduced and public expenditure so diminished as materially to lighten the weight of taxation many of the nobles claimed exemption from the tax but henry was inflexible that the public burden should be borne equally by all the people enjoying the long unknown blessings of peace became enthusiastically grateful to their illustrious benefactor in the month of october fifteen ninety eight the king was taken dangerously ill the whole nation was in a panic the touching demonstrations which henry then received of the universal love and homage of his subjects affected him deeply but few men find enough happiness in this world to lead them to cling very tenaciously to life when apparently on a dying bed henry at this time said to his attendants i have no fear of death i do not shrink at all from the great journey to the spirit land but i greatly regret being removed from my beloved country before i have restored it to complete prosperity happily the fever was subdued and he again with indefatigable diligence resumed his labours to discourage the extravagance of the nobles he set the example of extreme economy in all his personal expenses he indulged in no gaudy equipage his table was very frugally served and his dress was simple in the extreme no man in the kingdom devoted more hours to labour he met his council daily and in all their conferences exhibited a degree of information shrewdness and of comprehensive statesmanship which astonished the most experienced politicians who surrounded him it was a fierce battle which the king and his minister were compelled to fight for many years against the haughty nobles who had ever regarded the mass of the people but as beasts of burden made to contribute to their pleasure the demands of these proud aristocrats were incessant and inexorable it is a singular fact that among them all there was not a more thorough-going aristocrat than sully himself he had a perfect contempt for the people as to any power of self-government they were in his view but sheep to be carefully protected by a kind shepherd it was as absurd he thought to consult them as it would be for a shepherd to ask the advice of his flock but sully wished to take good care of the people to shield them from all unequal burdens from all aristocratic usurpations and to protect them with inflexible justice in person and in property his government was absolute in the extreme the marchioness of verneuil in a towering rage 
bitterly reproached the duke for preventing her from receiving a monopoly from the king which would have secured to her an income of some five hundred thousand dollars a year truly the king will be a great fool exclaimed the enraged marchioness if he continues to follow your advice and thus alienates so many distinguished families on whom pray should the king confer favours if not on his relatives and his influential friends what you say replied the unbending minister would be reasonable enough if his majesty took the money all out of his own purse but to assess a new tax upon the merchants artisans labourers and country people will never do it is by them that the king and all of us are supported and it is enough that they provide for a master without having to maintain his cousins and friends for twelve years henry with his illustrious minister laboured with uninterrupted zeal for the good of france his love of france was an ever-glowing and growing passion for which everything was to be surrendered henry was great in all respects but one he was a slave to the passion of love and no one says napoleon can surrender himself to the passion of love without forfeiting some palms of glory this great frailty has left a stain upon his reputation which truth must not conceal which the genius of history with sorrow regards and which can never be effaced he was a great statesman his heart was warm and generous his philanthropy was noble and all-embracing and his devotion to the best welfare of france was sincere and intense witness the following memorable prayer as he was just entering upon a great battle o lord if thou meanest this day to punish me for my sins i bow my head to the stroke of thy justice spare not the guilty but lord by thy holy mercy have pity on this poor realm and strike not the flock for the fault of the shepherd if god said he at another time shall grant me the ordinary term of human life i hope to see france in such a condition that every peasant shall be able to have a fowl in the pot on sunday this memorable saying shows both the benevolence of the king and the exceeding poverty at that time of the peasantry of france sully in speaking of the corruption which had prevailed and of the measures of reform introduced says the revenue annually paid into the royal treasury was thirty millions it could not be i thought that such a sum could reduce the kingdom of france so low i resolved to enter upon the immense investigation to my horror i found that for these thirty millions given to his majesty there were extorted from the purses of his subjects i almost blush to say one hundred and fifty millions after this i was no longer ignorant whence the misery of the people proceeded i applied my cares to the authors of this oppression who were the governors and other officers of the army who all even to the meanest abused in an enormous manner their authority over the people i immediately caused a decree to be issued by which they were prohibited under great penalties to exact anything from the people under any title whatever without a warrant in form End of section thirty three